Aisha Degree, a nine-year-old girl from Shelby, North Carolina, went missing on Valentine's Day in 2000. Aisha was last seen in her home and apartment on Oakcrest Street around 2.30, though I've seen some outlets say 12.30 in the morning. It was at this time her father was heading to bed, but checked on Aisha and her brother in the bedroom. They were both asleep. He thought everything was fine, so he went off to bed. Later on, Aisha's brother would say that he heard some kind of rustling or moving around in his and Aisha's room, but he assumed it was her turning over in her sleep, so he ignored it. That morning at 6.30, Aisha's mother went into their room to get them up for school, but Aisha was not there. She was immediately reported missing. The initial search, unfortunately, didn't turn up anything of use. The Charlotte Observer published an article saying, The search focused on the area near the family's house on Oakcrest Street, just north of Shelby. They also noted that there was no sign of forced entry into the home, and many family members, except Aisha's brother, said they heard nothing out of the ordinary. The police did receive two statements that seemed to indicate Aisha wouldn't be near her home. The article reads, Two motorists told authorities they may have seen Aisha walking on NC-18 between 3.30 a.m. and 4.15 a.m. The police, of course, looked into Aisha's home life for any indication as to why she would possibly want to run away, but all the investigation led to the same conclusion. She didn't run away. One investigator made a comment saying he's never seen an abduction like this of a child so young unless it was some kind of custody battle but Aisha's parents weren't fighting for custody. Furthermore, her father said it wasn't like Aisha to run off somewhere without telling someone. He said she was shy and quiet, hardly the kind of child to make a scene. Aisha's aunt spoke with the Charlotte Observer and drove home this point saying, she doesn't even open the door for me without getting her mother's permission, and I'm her aunt. Nothing in this case was adding up. To add to the mystery, it seemed like Aisha, when found, wouldn't have been wearing the nightshirt she wore to bed. There were some articles of clothing and personal belongings missing from her room. Missing from her room were the clothes she wore the day before, a white t-shirt with purple lettering that was made for a degree family reunion held in Atlanta, white jeans, and white tennis shoes. Also missing were Aisha's black book bag and a black purse with a Tweety Bird on it. A later report indicated she'd also taken her basketball uniform and two outfits, including the clothes she was wearing, though this could have been from her staying at a friend's house a few nights before. A little after a week from the first search, an article was published with some new information. Firstly, one of the men who claimed to have seen Aisha on NC-18 turned around to make sure she was okay. By the time he got turned around, he'd said she'd already made her way off the highway and disappeared out of sight not long after. The day following his account, that area around the road was searched, and dogs picked up Aisha's scent. They followed it to a small shed that was once a chicken house. This was around 600 feet away from the road. In the shed, police discovered candy wrappers, a hair bow belonging to Aisha, and a pen and pencil also believed to belong to the little girl. Once the dogs made it to the chicken coop, though, her scent trail ended abruptly. Sheriff Deputy Roadcap said, It's like she stepped off the face of the earth. Nobody has been able to place her beyond that spot. The man who owned the shed said the night of her disappearance, he didn't notice anything out of the ordinary, noting that he had six beagles outside near that shed, and they would have barked if they saw anyone, but that night, they never did. After this, the case went cold. 
There were no new leads, and any search ended up with nothing being found. Aisha's name and face were kept in the news cycle, but it wouldn't be until the 3rd of August 2001 that a major break would come in the case. It was on this day Aisha's backpack was discovered following a construction project off of Highway 18 in Burke County, which is about 26 miles from Shelby. The bag had been wrapped in plastic, and it had Aisha's name as well as a phone number, presumably to her parents. The FBI brought in the backpack for testing, but the results of those tests haven't been released. In 2004, an inmate claimed he knew where Aisha's body was. He claimed she could have been at an intersection in Lawndale, but what bones were found were those of an animal. Over the years, Aisha's family made many public appearances to help keep her story alive. The leads at this point were few and far between, but more did come. In 2016, the FBI made an announcement that after opening the investigation again, they'd come across a new lead. Now it was believed that Aisha may have been seen getting into an early 1970s Lincoln Continental Mark IV or a Ford Thunderbird from the same era, somewhere along Route 18. There was also reportedly rust around the wheels. Finally, in October of 2018, the Sheriff's Department brought interest in two items in Aisha's backpack, a copy of McElligott's Pool by Dr. Seuss and a t-shirt for the band New Kids on the Block. The book had been borrowed from Falston Elementary in early 2000, Aisha's school, but the school didn't have records of books going out at that time. According to the local PD and the FBI, these two items are crucial to solving Aisha's case. Quickly, I want to mention some theories I've seen floating around online. The one most people normally go to is that Aisha really did just run away. But many discredit this, stating her home life was fine and there seemed to be no outside factors, i.e. problems at school, that would make her want to leave. Others suggest that she was sleepwalking and was abducted by one after she left the house, but this too has been met with some criticism. Some who have experienced sleepwalking often say that doing everything she did would have been nearly impossible, not to mention that pediatric sleepwalking develops between ages 4 and 8, With Aisha being 9, the family would have most likely seen the signs already. Furthermore, sleepwalking episodes are around 15 minutes. That would not have been enough time for Aisha to change clothes, leave the house, lock the door back, and begin walking up the highway and then to a chicken coop. Finally, some have said it could have been someone close to the family who had been grooming Aisha. Maybe an uncle, grandparent, or even a school teacher or a coach. Of course, with the door being found locked the day after she went missing, the idea of someone outside the family is unlikely. Aisha had a house key in her backpack at all times, but the chances of someone who was abducting her actually knowing that are slim. This entire case is honestly incredibly perplexing. The book bag being wrapped in plastic and being found over 20 miles from her home, the door being locked following Aisha's vanishing, the fact that she wore all white when she left, knowing she'd be more visible to cars on the highway, and the fact that her trail seemed to vanish after arriving at the shed. It's all just strange. If you believe you have any information on her case, please don't hesitate to report it. You can call the Cumberland County Anonymous Tip Line at 207-774-1444, extension 
On May 13, 1977, the body of a young black man was found in Leland, North Carolina. He's believed to have been anywhere from 18 to 30 years old at the time. The man's body had been wrapped in what's been described as a burlap material. Once the body was removed from the burlap, it was discovered that the man seemed to have been hogtied, or at least there was an attempt to. His right wrist had a strip of burlap tied to it, which connected to his neck. It's unclear if both of his hands were tied, or if he just managed to get free of them while struggling to get out. The detail is important, as police have said they believe he was alive when he was thrown into the river. Also, while the man was discovered in the Brunswick River, it is believed he was originally thrown into the Cape Fear River. What's unfortunate about this is that the Cape Fear, as any North Carolinian will tell you, is massive. It begins at the coast coming in from around Baldhead Island and doesn't end until it passes Brickhaven and splits into Jordan Lake and the Deep River, a stretch of about 158 miles by highway. I know it's not an apples-to-apples comparison, but it is worth noting. With the body being found in the Brunswick River, though, and us not knowing how long he was there, it could be possible he was thrown off somewhere near Eagle Island, which has a highway passing right over it, Route 74. This, of course, is all speculation, but it's important to do that. All it takes is asking the right question once, and hopefully someone will think of something they'd long forgotten. As far as this case goes, it could have been racially motivated. Racial tensions were incredibly high during this time, especially in southern states like North Carolina. The man was found completely naked aside from socks, which could have been a way to humiliate him. Again, this is just more speculation. If you believe you know who this man is or think you saw something that could lead police to look deeper into this case, don't wait to call the Brunswick County Sheriff's Office at 910-253-2777. Jenna, as her close friends and family called her, was 22 years old and 8 months pregnant the day of June 14, 2007. She lived in the town of Fuquay, Varina, North Carolina, but her job in newspaper delivery saw her going far out from her home. In the early morning of June 14th, reports of a suspicious car in the parking lot of an American food mart brought police out to the area. They searched the premises, and behind the store is where they discovered Jenna. She'd been murdered. Just a few hours after the discovery, an article was published online that read, They're looking at all the possibilities, Raleigh Police spokesman said as uniformed police and detectives combed the scene, including the woods behind the store. They had no way to know what may or may not be important as they pieced together their investigation. Jenna's brother, Jason, said Jenna would have left her home around 3.30 in the morning and would make it home by 5.30. The American store was apparently her first stop on her trip. From the beginning, there didn't seem to be much that could help police find out who killed Jenna and do it quickly. Given how early in the morning it was, witnesses were very unlikely, though some did come forward claiming to have seen a man in the parking lot acting rather suspicious. The police took statements, and from that, this composite sketch was produced. The man was described as being approximately 17 to 20 years of age, Five foot three, 120 pounds, and with long, shiny black hair and a ponytail. 
Authorities believe the man is Hispanic, but with light skin. It's also worth noting that Jenna was found partially dressed, indicating an attempted sexual assault. There was also DNA found at the scene, though it hasn't been stated if it was semen, skin cells, blood, or saliva. As of this video, there haven't been many large updates on Jenna's case. The most recent news coverage I can find comes from CBS 17 in 2016. In that segment, they mentioned they've interviewed numerous individuals and hope that advancements in DNA technology and genealogy can help to determine who the DNA belongs to. At the time of this murder, North Carolina was one of the few states that did not have laws regarding the murder of a pregnant woman and how that would play into someone's sentencing. Now, and it's partly because of this case, if this person responsible was taken to court, they could face two charges of murder. If you believe you saw something that morning in Raleigh, or if you believe you know who this man is, there is a $25,000 reward for anyone with information. You can contact the Raleigh Police Department at 919-227-6220.